This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. I was pastoring a church in New York City in the neighborhood called Chelsea, which was the epicenter for the gay community. And so uh, we lived with gay neighbors uh, on our hallway. Um, Our kids had classmates whose parents uh, were gay. We had lots of people in and out of our church that were gay and had the privilege of ministering to a lot of gay people. And uh, I remember one heartbreaking experience of ministering to Josh, who was a newlywed husband, to his beautiful wife. And Josh struggled with same-sex attraction. And I remember sitting with him and him telling me, if you can't promise me that God will take this away from me, I don't think that I can follow Jesus. If you can't promise me that God will take these temptations away from me, then I don't think I can stay with my wife. He had a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' call to us to die to ourselves and to put to death our sinful nature to follow Jesus. And indeed, this young man, married less than two years, left his wife and pursued a gay lifestyle. I'll never, I'll never forget ministering to Greg. Greg was 50 years old, and he had lived in an active gay lifestyle for 30 years. And Greg began to interact with our church, and he experienced the love of God through the love of God's people. And he was drawn to it. He'd been searching for love his whole life and had not found it. He'd been searching for love in relationship after relationship after relationship and had not found what would satisfy his soul. And then he began to experience the love of God through the love of God's people. And he began to hear the good news of the gospel that God loved him. And by God's grace, Greg opened up his heart in faith to receive the Lord Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he began an intense battle to put to death the temptation toward gay sexuality in his life. An intense battle on some days that he would experience victory and on some days he wouldn't, but a battle that he was committed to. I'll never forget Greg. There's another man named Steve, and Steve was a deacon in our church. And um, Steve served the Lord with all of his heart. He was a kind and gentle man. And he built things for the church. He was very, very skilled. He was a dear friend of mine. And as a young man in his 20s, after graduating from NYU, Steve began to experiment uh, with, um, in, in a gay lifestyle for the first time. And it, and it absolutely grabbed a hold of him. And he began uh, an intense battle, going back and forth, back and forth, struggling to follow Jesus 
in not following Jesus and pursuing this lifestyle, struggling to follow Jesus and not pursuing Jesus. And he eventually gave in. And today he's married to a man and he's not following Jesus. And, and then there was Nick, and Nick came to our church as I was preaching through the book of Romans. And Nick would come with a friend, and Nick was attending our church while living an active gay lifestyle. So Friday nights, Saturday nights, Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, you name it. And he would come and gather in our church on Sundays and sit under the preaching of God's word and hear the sacred scriptures being taught and preached. And he would go to brunch every Sunday with the friend that brought him, and he would weep over brunch every Sunday. Struggling. Living a lifestyle on Tuesday night and Friday night and Saturday night and coming and sitting under the preaching of God's word and hearing the truth of God's word and feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and feeling the intense battle in the soul, the call of God upon his life. Um, June in our country is known by many in our country as Gay Pride Month. In 1999, President Bill Clinton uh, made uh, a, a declaration that June was Gay and Lesbian Pride Month, 30 years after what's known as the Stonewall Riots that actually happened in Lower Manhattan 30 years previous, in 1969. In 1970, there was the first Gay Pride uh, marches in different cities after the riots in 69 in Manhattan. And it's easy for us as Christians to see our country emphasizing a month to celebrate gay pride. It's easy for us to get um, angry and to forget that men and women, boys and girls, find themselves in a personal, intense, spiritual battle. Many of them, having grown up in the church and hearing the good news of the gospel and hearing biblical ethics and sexual morality and in what a life of holiness and purity looks like, having those seeds planted in their heart and yet finding themselves tempted toward living out um, a gay lifestyle. And they find themselves in an intense battle. Um, others having no exposure to the gospel, yet seeing the sunsets and knowing that God is there and knowing that God is holy and knowing that by nature there are certain things that are obvious and common sense. They know inside of them that that kind of sexual activity is wrong, and they find themselves in a battle, but not even knowing the God that they're wrestling with. And it's important for us as a church to remember during this month that we have an opportunity um, to be engaged in a battle, but it's not necessarily a political battle. It's a, rather a spiritual battle that men and women and boys and girls actually find themselves in. Indeed, we engage in a spiritual battle that all of us find ourselves in. And we may, we may not be battling against the temptation towards same-sex attraction or homosexual sexual activity or lesbian activity, but we all find ourselves in a spiritual battle. And as we come to Ephesians 6, picking up in verse 10, we see the Apostle Paul speaking clearly to us about the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. 
And so I hope you'll take a Bible and I hope that you'll follow along. I'm titling this morning's sermon, Satan Wants God's Rainbow. So would you follow along with me as I read in Ephesians 6, picking up in verse 10 and following. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help to understand what your word teaches and to live it out with passion. So Holy Spirit, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we see in this text is that we're to battle with strength. We're in a spiritual battle, and the first thing that we see is that we're to battle with strength. I want you to look at God's word with me again, picking up in verse 10. Finally, let me just pause there because that's a word that's full of meaning. Finally, Paul's written a letter. We're picking it up in chapter 6. So he has said a lot before he's saying what he's about to say. In chapter 1, God, uh, Paul, God spoke through Paul and told us that we were loved. His church was loved, adopted redeemed, that we have an inheritance, and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then if you've been tracking with us through Ephesians, you know God gave very specific instructions through the book of Ephesians to Christians on how to be honest, how to work, how to talk, how to think, how to sleep, attitudes to hold in our heart and what to put out of our heart, how to treat one another and especially how to treat one another in the church, how to handle our sex life, how to handle jokes how to handle alcohol, how to handle marriage relationships, and how children are to relate to their parents. The book of Ephesians kind of has this comprehensive, here's how you ought to live Christian. It's a a comprehensive covering of all of our life is to be leveraged for Jesus and to be lived for Jesus. And it's out of this amazing experience of being loved when we don't deserve it of being adopted into the family of God even though we were alienated in our sin. It's mind-blowingly good that we have an unfading, imperishable inheritance awaiting us in heaven. That's what chapter 1 says. And so then the rest of the book of Ephesians is, therefore, because you're mind-blowingly loved in a way that you'll never be able to exhaust how rich and how wonderful and how deep and how wide God's personal love is for you. You'll never be able to exhaust his love. Because of this great love, therefore your life should look different. Your life should be lived for God and for his glory and for his purposes. Not for yourself, not for the world, not not with the values of the world. Your life should be lived according to the pattern of God's instruction. That's what Ephesians is telling us. So then he comes to Ephesians 6 and he says, finally. And what he doesn't say is, but you know, if you ignore all that stuff, that I've written to you about, God's going to be gracious. (laughs) 
That's the way a lot of us treat our Christian life, isn't it? Well, I'm going to live this way, but God's going to forgive me. Well, I'm going to engage in this, but God's gracious. That's not the stance that Paul takes. Paul systematically goes through our life telling us how to live, and then he comes to the end of it, and he says, finally, look at it with me, verse 10, be strong. And then look at the next phrase. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Listen, for some of us, the Christian life is so overwhelming because of all the commandments that God gives us. But the reason is, is because we try to live the Christian life disconnected from an intimate relationship with God. In other words, the strength to walk in obedience to God comes from an intimate relationship with God. So he says, be strong. And what Paul doesn't say is, be strong and go suck it up and do it all on your own. He says, be strong in the Lord. Abide in him, walk with him, pray to him, read his word, and he will empower you to live a different way than you ever imagined. He'll empower you to live with with fresh insight and fresh hunger and fresh holiness. God will transform your life through his love by his spirit who lives in you if you'll walk with him. This is a battle cry. He's giving a battle cry. Notice in verse 10 that he says it comes from Jesus. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Listen, battle is not boring. (laughs) If you're bored with the Christian life, you have been deceived. You've been blinded. You're not living in reality. The devil wants us to think that the Christian life is boring and there's no urgency to live our lives for God. The devil wants us to be indifferent about obedience to God. But God commands us to battle, and battle is intense, and battle is dangerous, and it can be thrilling, but it is not boring. So if you're bored with Christianity, it's probably because you have not understood the gospel and the nature of Christian spirituality. You just haven't understood it yet. You probably couldn't explain it. If you're bored with it, you probably couldn't give a clear explanation of it. We're to battle with strength. That's the battle cry. We're to battle with strength. The church, Christians, followers of Jesus, we're to battle with strength. And it's a spiritual battle. The book of Hebrews says that there's a sin that so easily entangles. And what we understand about the Christian life is that every one of us have a temptation that we're that we feel a stronger pull toward. I opened the sermon this morning by talking about the temptation toward same-sex attraction. And for you, that may be your temptation this morning, but for you, it may be something altogether different. In the, in the battle cry is to be strong in the strength of God's might. I just want to give you three quick areas that we need to be strong. The first one is strength to be clear. Listen, friends. In the next 20 years, many of you will find your place, will find yourself in a place where your job is threatened if you're clear about what you believe. In the next 20 years, some of you will be faced, keep my job and don't be clear about who God is and what I believe about him, or lose my job and be clear. Can I just tell you, if you lose your job because of winsome, loving, appropriate Christian witness, this church will take care of you. 
we will take care of you. It's going to require enormous spiritual strength to be clear, clear about the gospel, clear about issues of sexuality, and we see playing out like all over, all over our culture right now in Major League Baseball and other sports issues where folks are finding themselves in the place asking themselves, am I going to be clear or am I going to muddy it? Am I, am I just going to be clear or am I going to like tell a half-truth? Am I going to be clear? It's going to, it's going to take strength to be clear. It's going, to be, it's going to take strength to be clear about what a man is, about what a woman is, about how we, how, what, what's good for children in our country. It's going to take extraordinary spiritual strength. Some of you are going to be faced with challenges that you never dreamed you'd be faced with in your lifetime. And it will come. And it will take spiritual strength. This is why Paul says be strong in the strength of his might. We need strength to be holy. I shared with you stories about a young man who professed Jesus, who did not abide in Christ and take hold of the strength that was available to him to put to death the temptations towards same-sex attraction. And I told you a story about a man who chose to begin to engage in battle to be holy. And it requires great spiritual strength. Listen, you cannot overcome the sin in your life without a close relationship with God being filled with his strength. Some of you sitting here in this room, you're confused and you're afraid because you grew up with a temptation that's challenging your core identity. And you're looking around at the world trying to understand who am I in this world. One of the reasons that you're confused is because the church has not exalted uh, celibacy. And the church has not uh, exalted a single lifestyle. It's a beautiful, wonderful, admirable gift to be lived. The Apostle Paul argued that every Christian would be single as he was. So that they might have a life that was fully devoted to Jesus, completely undivided. Because when you get married, Paul says, you have to give your attention to taking care of your spouse. So if you grew up and you're, if you're wrestling different, if you're wrestling with who am I and what do I feel? Listen, your feelings are not your authority, but they're real. And your temptations are real, but you don't have to give in to them. They don't have to rule you. They don't have to master you. They don't have to identify you. There's strength available in the Lord Jesus. So if you're on a journey trying to figure out who you are, Jesus will give you an identity as a son of God, and he'll give you spiritual strength to live a holy lifestyle, but it can only be had by taking up your cross, crucifying your sinful nature in your sinful flesh, being filled with the Spirit, in living a life of loving God. So if you find yourself here this morning and you feel like you're attracted to the same sex, listen, that's not your identity. That's a temptation that you have that you were born into with sin. The church in the 70s and the 80s got this totally wrong because preachers would bang on the pulpit and say homosexuality is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Listen, to engage in homosexual sex is a choice. To be tempted toward homosexual activity is not necessarily a choice. We don't choose what we're tempted toward. 
Some of you are tempted to drinking too much. Some of you are tempted toward losing your temper. Some of you are tempted toward looking at pornography, and you don't choose what you're tempted toward. You choose what you give into. And none of us should be ashamed by what we're tempted toward. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way. That's why he can be a sympathetic high priest and enter into our struggle against sin and love us and empower us and comfort us toward holy living. So we need strength. As Paul says, be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We need strength to be holy. Some of you are currently addicted to pornography and you hate the month of June because it's, it's gay pride month, but God hates your sin of pornography. Church, do you see it? We need the Lord's strength to overcome every vice and every temptation of the flesh. And the Lord will give us that strength. We need strength to be compassionate. I just shared that no one gets to choose what they are tempted to do. And no one should be, acha- no one should be ashamed about what they're tempted to do. Church, listen, we need to be filled with such compassion that people who are actively giving, living a gay lifestyle can come and sit in this place and feel loved by God through the love of God's people. Not be shamed, not be looked at as weird, not be looked at as awkward, not be looked at as you're not welcome here, not be looked at as this is not for you. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So all kinds of sinners of every shape and every kind are welcome in this place. And we welcome all repentant sinners to be a member of our church. But all sinners are welcome to gather in this place to listen to the word of God. And it's our hope and it's our eager expectation that they would feel the love of God and experience the love of God through the welcome and the love of God's people. That is who we are at real life. If that's not who you are, this may not be the place for you. We need strength to be compassionate. Some of us, our struggle is not same-sex attraction, and our struggle is not pornography, and our struggle is not a hot temper, but our struggle, our struggle is self-righteousness. Our struggle is self-righteousness, and that comes out in, in an exalted anger toward other people's sins an exaggerated anger toward other people's sins. So you hate this month because of your own self-righteousness, because you look down upon other people and you see yourself as better. Jesus said, no, take out the log, the, the log out of your own eye first so that you can see clearly on how to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. And so compassion for many of us is difficult because of our sin of self-righteousness. And as we put to death the sin of self-righteousness, compassion will rise. As we confess our own sins to the Lord and we experience his cleansing power and his great love, compassion will rise. When we understand all that God has forgiven us of, compassion will rise. If you don't have compassion in your heart, For the hardest, most wicked sinners, then you may not have understood how God has loved you. And you may not have allowed the love of God to touch every place in your heart. So we're to battle with strength, but that's not all. We're to battle the right enemy. Look at verse 12 with me. 
Look at the sacred scriptures, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Just pause there. Paul's saying our battle is not against people. Man, the church gets this wrong a lot, don't we? The church has this us and them conversation. Us and them. (laughs) Political parties, us and them. They're the enemy. Those people, the way they think, what they do, the enemy, they're the enemy. Look at it with me again in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not people who think differently than us. They're not the enemy. Who's the enemy? Look at the rest of verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What we don't have in the scriptures is God giving us this demonic hierarchy of saying, here's the hierarchy of demons. But what he does give us is, hey, there's a real spiritual battle going on, and here's just a sampling of the kinds of evil spiritual forces that that, that exist that are under the rule of Satan himself. And, And he says, this is who the battle is against. It's not against people. It's against Satan and all of his demons. So we must battle the right enemy. Do you hate yourself because you were tempted? I hope not. Do you hate yourself when you're tempted? I hope not. Do you you hate yourself when you sin? You shouldn't. And neither should we hate those around us no matter their sin. Notice again the title of the sermon. Satan wants God's rainbow. So when we experience our schools and when we experience our workplaces and when we experience the media and and when we experience social media and when we experience politics and when we experience people pushing out ideologies that are contrary to God, that are contrary to Christian principles, we must understand that it's Satan himself and the demonic realm that have influenced them to that end. And it's Satan and the demonic realm that are our enemy. And if we miss that, then we'll become an irrelevant church. Because if we think our neighbor, who's to be loved, is our enemy, we will eventually, as a church, shrivel up and die. We don't celebrate sin. We're grieved by it, but we love our neighbor. Our enemy is the devil himself. That's who we're in battle against. I want you to look over at 1 Corinthians. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want to show you one text to help us sort this out in daily life, how we engage in relationships. So go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians 5. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, when you got it, just kind of, let me see your Bible, let me, let me see your phone, let me see your tracking, back row, anybody with me? Let's see, all right, let's see you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, look at, look at verse 9, Paul says, I, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Does that surprise you? Paul said, don't associate with them. 
but they misunderstood what Paul meant. So he wrote in 1 Corinthians to clarify what they misunderstood. Look at what he says. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. So Paul had written to them and said, don't associate with the sexually immoral. And they thought he meant don't associate with the sexually immoral who are not Christians. Don't be friends with people who aren't Christians that are sexually immoral. And Paul said, that's not what I was talking about. Look at what he says. Not at all meaning, verse, nine, verse 10, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> In other words, the sexually immoral are everywhere. You got to go live on an island all by yourself, completely isolated if you're not going to have friendships with the sexually immoral. He said, that's not what I was saying. Verse 11, look at it. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. What does that mean? That means if someone says they're a Christian and they're engaged in sexual immorality, you're not to hang out with them and be friends with them. That's what God is saying. If... If someone is professing to be a believer and they're engaged in sexual immorality, he says, don't associate with them. And he goes on, he doesn't limit it to sexual immorality. He goes on, he says, or as an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even. He says, "Not don't even eat with them. Don't go to lunch with them. Don't go to dinner with them. Don't have them over. Why? Because light doesn't have fellowship with darkness. They're profaning the name of Jesus. And he says, you don't need to help them be deceived. They need to repent of their sexual sin. And by you not associating with them, you're communicating a sober reality to them of, hey, the way you're living is not what God wants for you. So much so, he doesn't permit us to have dinner with you. If you profess to be a Christian. That's the key. Do you profess to be a Christian? If you don't, come on over for dinner. And let me tell you about God's love. But if you profess to be a Christian, you're claiming to already have heard of God's love, already to have received God's love, and already to have been changed by God's love. So if you're professing that, and you're living in active sexual immorality, I can't go to lunch with you. That's what Paul's saying. And then he surprises every modern-day Christian. Look at what he says in verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? In other words, we're not to judge the world who don't profess to be Christians. For what do, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Whoa, what? Paul, did I read you right? Look at it again. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Listen, Paul is not saying we're to have a spirit of condemnation. Paul is not saying we're to have an angry, unloving, unfriendly, unkind spirit. Paul is saying we're to make an objective, an objective observation on, on people's behavior. That is judgment. Judgment is making an objective observation on people's behavior. That's what judgment is. Condemning someone is different than judging someone's behavior. It's making an objective observation on someone's behavior. And he says that's, what's the, that's what the church is to do. Why? Because God has called us out of the world to be his people. A holy, peculiar, different, holy, loving people. We're the city on a hill. We're the salt of the earth. We're the bride of Christ. That's who he's called us to be. 
So he says there's a way to live when I'm calling you out of the world to live this way. And in verse 13, he makes it ultra clear. He says God judges those outside. God's going to judge those outside. Every person is going to have to stand before God, and God is going to make an objective observation upon the character of their life. He says God is going to judge them, and then he says purge the evil person among you. Just so you know, this design in 1 Corinthians was effective. Because in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul instructed the church to welcome this repentant man back. So as they purged the sexually immoral person, the immoral person repented, returned to Christ in fellowship with him, and they said, welcome him back into the church. This is God's design. We're to battle with strength and we're, we're to battle the right enemy. And the enemy is not our sinful neighbor, but it's Satan who rules over their thinking. Got it? Got it. And we're to battle with perseverance. Battle with perseverance. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. When's the evil day? Today? Yesterday? Tomorrow? We live in an evil world, surrounded by evil people, doing evil things, pushing evil ideas. We live in an evil day. And he says, take on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand, so that you can be strong in this evil day. If there's anything in you that says, I'm good, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if any man thinks he stand, let him take heed lest he fall. The moment you think, I'm good, that's when you fall. And listen, sin, sin, sin will never go easy on you. It will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will always lead to more destruction in your life than you can ever imagine. Sin will always lead to death and heartache. Sin, listen friends, sin does not make sense. Battle with perseverance. Look at verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Look at this phrase, and having done all to stand. Having done all, not having done a lot, not having done most, not having done a little, not having done a little bit here and there, having done, say it with me, all. Having done all, Christians give up way too easily in the battle against sin and in the battle against Satan. We give in way too easily. We give up on our marriage way too easily. We give up on prayer way too easily. Friends, don't give up. Don't do most everything you can. Do everything you can in your battle against sin. We've got to engage our creativity, and we've got to engage our imagination, and we've got to be resourceful. I've been teaching my kids about what it means to be resourceful. I've been teaching them, when you, when you grow into an adult, and as you take on jobs, the best employees are those that can be resourceful. And so I've been defining resourceful with some of my kids. What is resourceful? Resourceful is when you look for alternative ways to solve 
problems. You look outside of yourself for alternative ways to find problems. You don't stop at the first idea or the second idea or the third idea, but you go find some other people and you go find some other resources and where can you do that? And Well, YouTube is coming up in the conversation and Google is coming up in the conversation and family and friends are coming up in the conversation about who could help when you need to be resourceful. And what Paul is saying here is we're to be spiritually resourceful in battle. We're to persevere and we're not to stop at fighting a little bit We're to do everything that we can. We're to be incredibly imaginative, creative, and resourceful to battle for holiness and obedience and love. Some of you have said, but I've done everything I know to do. But you haven't yet done everything that everyone you know knows to do. Some of you feel at the end of your rope but it's because you don't understand there's a hundred other ropes out there that are ready to drop down to help. The body of Christ, endless resources, the people of God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart Then Jesus says this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Commentators are quick to say, well, Jesus is speaking figuratively. Jesus didn't literally want anybody to, like, to gouge out their eyeball. Jesus is using provocative language, shocking language to drive home a spiritual reality that we should be resourceful and that we should battle and we should persevere in the battle. And I say yes and amen, but let's not rush too quickly to assuming Jesus is, not, is saying don't ca- I don't think he's saying really gouge out your eyeball, but he might be saying really live a life without a phone. Really live a life without a computer. I mean, if you're addicted to pornography, and, that, and that's the thing, and it's like, what do you need to gouge out? If you've got other sins that are, that are pulling at you, what are the threads that keep you connected to it that need to be cut and eliminated? Is it in your mind? Is it in your thoughts? Is it in the places you go and the things you listen to or the the people that are influencing you, what, what is it? As we grow in our relationship with God, we grow in spiritual self-awareness. So church, I want to ask you individually this morning, do you know what the sin that so easily entangles you is? And if so, Paul's battle cry to you is be strong in the strength of his might. Battle with strength, battle the right enemy, and battle with perseverance. The author of Hebrews said it this way, in your struggle against sin, You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Wow. It's a sobering battle, isn't it? It's not boring. It's intense, dangerous, at times thrilling, fierce. Following Jesus, friends, listen, following Jesus will require absolutely everything you can give and more. It'll take his strength. It'll take his strength. Just the last idea I want to close with. 
as we prepare for the Lord's Supper is Jesus has won the battle, and the church is the evidence. Look at chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 7 through 13. Turn over with me, chapter 3. Jesus has won the battle, and the church is the evidence. The battle continues to go on, but it is indeed won. It's just not yet over. On the cross of Jesus Christ, he condemned sin in his flesh, dying for sin. He was buried. He rose victorious over sin, over Satan, over our flesh, he, over death. He rose victorious. Jesus is victorious over the battle, and one day he will return and fully end the spiritual battle that we are in. Hallelujah. He will throw the devil in hell, and we will rule and reign with him for eternity. The battle is won. It's just not yet over. And the evidence is in the church. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's how good the love of Jesus is. It's unsearchable, friends. If you feel broken and if you, if you feel convicted... If you feel like God's angry with you, listen to that. The unsearchable riches of Christ, they're his love for you. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Listen, this is God's plan. He's not freaking out. He's not nervous. He's calling together his bride unto himself. By his spirit, it's been his sovereign plan from the beginning, verse 10, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You remember that phrase, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? That's who our battle is against. Turn back over to chapter 6 and you'll see, oh yeah, the cosmic powers, the the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places. What's the heavenly places? It's it's the spiritual realm, the air. And and and, And what Paul is saying is that God is shaping his church. He's redeeming his church. He's molding his church. He's making his church. And it's through the church that God is showing off to the demonic realm. God is showing all the demonic realm through the gathered saints this morning at real life. You got nothing. You're on the losing team. Nothing's going to stop the praise of my people. Their anthem will go on and go on, and it'll go on through suffering, and it'll go on through pain. They're not going to quit praising me. And they're continuing to put to death sin in their life, and they're continuing to love me more today than they did yesterday. And God is setting on display his wisdom through his church. The church is the evidence that God has already won the battle. (laughs) Oh, glory to Christ. Nick, who began to attend our church as I was preaching through Romans, he would go to brunch every Sunday and weep and weep. After going to brunch Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, weeping in brokenness and in a spiritual battle, Nick chose to turn from his sinful lifestyle of homosexuality and chose to walk with Jesus 
It wasn't easy. But he put it to death and he began to walk with Jesus and he, he began to sing on our worship team. He met a young woman. He married her. They live in Nashville today with two kids. He was strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And that can be your story today. Whatever the sin that so easily entangles you, you can overcome it by the power of the Spirit. How do we take hold of that power? One of the ways we do it is we come to the Lord's Supper. How how do we take hold of that strength? One of the ways we do it is we come and we tear the bread off, reminding us that Jesus was crucified for us because he loved us. And we dip it in the cup, remembering that his blood was shed for us because he loves us. So here's, so if you're a Christian, this meal is for you. And as you tear it, and as you dip it, and as you put it in your mouth, you remember that you were a treasured, loved, empowered child of God, saint of God, the fragrance of Christ, an ambassador of Jesus. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you're not yet a Christian, I want you to take that yellow card, and I just want you to consider, is today the day you need to become a follower of Jesus? Is, th- is today the day that you need to become a worshiper of Jesus? Is today the day you need to have your sins forgiven? And if today is the day, while we're coming and, and taking this meal, I just want you to fill that card out, and I want you to indicate, today I'm receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. We'll follow up with you, we'll pray with you, we'll celebrate, you, uh, celebrate with you and give you some resources. But those that are serving communion, I want to invite you to go ahead and come. And let us prepare our hearts to be reminded of the majestic, unfailing love of God. Church, would you pray with me? Oh God, have mercy upon us. And thank you for the mercy you have shown us. Oh God, we thank you for your great love. It's so great we can't comprehend it. It's so great, it changes us, it breaks us, it it brings us to places of brokenness. Your love does that, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray you'd speak to every person in this place today. You wouldn't let them leave unchanged in this place. And as we come to communion, as we come to the Lord's Supper, might we once again remember and believe in and experience your great love. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You come as you're ready. You kneel in this place. You kneel at the altar. You go to the prayer station. You worship the Lord in this, in this time, however you need to. This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast.